Well, good morning. I hope that was good for you. It was great for me to worship the Lord with you this morning. Amen. To sing praise to our God. And what a needed season of life for praise to our God. I mean, what a needed season to have the energy of music to inspire, to encourage us, to help us connect with our God. And I hope you don't take for granted anymore the value of church, of coming together, singing, whether here, obviously some of you are online this morning, wherever you are, don't miss the moment of praise and worship. Because in these moments where our hearts can become discouraged, these moments are what keep us encouraged this morning. So I'm so grateful you're here. And in this season, this series, we're talking about what is essential. And if you haven't tuned in, let me just tell you, you've missed some uh, great fired up uh, sermons from our pastor, right? He's been kind of after it this last two weeks because we want you to see as the church, you're essential. You are essential. No matter what the world around us says, you are essential. And this is not some political statement. This is not some like, we got to have the doors open statement. It is a personal statement to you that when life comes your way and you don't feel as essential in life, God says you're essential. He says you're worthy. And that's what this series really is all about. As we get started this morning, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. Ephesians chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me set the stage where we're going to talk about today. There's this terminology that we've been told is essential in this season. And I want to go ahead and set the stage. I'm not um, saying this is not important. What I am going to say this morning is this terminology may be poorly founded, maybe a poor terminology. And it's the term social distancing. We've all been told in this season of the virus that we must socially distance ourselves from one another. And I want you to hear from me today that I don't think physical separation is a bad thing in the season of a virus. I'd actually think I would offer that physical separation, distancing yourself physically, is not a bad thing. We're doing that here today in church, right? And I'm grateful for that because we want to help protect you from a virus. But at the same time, studies are starting to come out and show us that the social distancing of our country and our world may be causing more harm than good. And I've observed this firsthand, right? Whether it be elderly people in my family, whether it be my own life and spirit in this season, social distancing has been very discouraging for my heart and the hearts of those I love. And so while physical distancing may be a good thing today, I'm here to tell you that social distancing, especially as a follower of God, social distancing can cause you great harm. And instead, the Bible shows us, especially here in Ephesians chapter 4, that if anything as Christians, we are to be socially connected in deeper ways than anyone else in society. And so hear me as we get started. I want to make sure because our society is full of things right now and terms and all this. Hear me. I am not saying that as we leave today, we go ahead and stop physically distancing. I want you to hear that. I'm not saying that the rules and the protocols and that are not good for our lives, but I am going to encourage you and challenge you today that if you haven't in this season tried to overcome the physical barriers in order to make sure you are socially connected, especially in the body of Christ, you are missing an essential aspect of your faith, an essential part of your life. 
And I don't know if you're like me, but as life gets busy, sometimes social connections among the church itself can seem very secondary to all the things I have to accomplish in a week. Sometimes social connection can be very hard to come by. And so today what I want to explore in Ephesians chapter 4 is I want us to explore why. Why does God tell Christians that we have to be connected? Why are we required to be social connected? Especially for you introverts in the room, right? I hear you thinking already, like, I got enough relationships. I don't need more, right? I, I ask that myself. Why, God? Why are Christians encouraged to be socially connected? And then how do we do so? So if you're sitting in the room, you go, yeah, I'd love to be more connected, especially in my church. And I don't know how. I, I want to give you some tips from this passage in particular, not programs of the church. But what God says can really help your life if you find yourself lacking social connection. So if you would stand with me as it's our custom around here as we read God's word. And we're going to read together Ephesians chapter 4. And it's a little bit of a long one this morning. We're going to go 1 through 16. So bear with me. And hey, listen, if you get tired, sit down. It's okay, right? We stand and honor God's word. But it's a little bit of a long one today. So Ephesians chapter 4, I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul writing, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we might no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it it's builds up itself through love. It's a lot of things there, but here's what you see. This idea of one body, one, a community, the unity of Christ, 
And in that unity, by joining together this idea that the body is encouraged, it grows, it's built up. And I don't know about you, but in this season, I think we all need to be built up. Because as the world around us tries to tear down day after day, we all need something in our lives that builds us up. So let's pray and let's ask God to show us what is he saying here and how does this relate to our lives? Let's ask him this morning to do that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the chance to dive into your word together. Thank you for not leaving us on this planet without a word from you, God. I'm so grateful. And today, would you help us, encourage us, God, to join stronger together, to see the value in one another, as diverse as we might be, God, that we might be unified in Christ. Thank you so much for the chance to study your word together, to explore it. And God, I pray you'd use it to bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this idea of social connection, uh, the title is actually that Christian community is essential. This idea that Christian community, Christian fellowship, bonding together is essential. And Paul makes a pretty compelling case for this. Now, let me just clarify. If you read the New Testament, you see number of times the case for Christians being unified together. And as we walk into this sermon today, I want you to see that that case is being made for three particular reasons from this passage. Paul gives us three reasons of the why. Why does God ask Christians to come together? We typically call it church, but we know that that's beyond the building. That's beyond necessarily even this Sunday morning gathering. The church, the body of Christ, has always been commanded, has always been required to come together. Why is that? Why? Why would we want to be together? Well, Paul lays out some pretty compelling cases. The first is this. If you look at verses 1 through 5, there's a statement in verse 1 that I want to hone in on. It says, I urge you to walk in the manner of the calling to which you have been called to walk. And then he gives all this stuff, the way you should walk, and it all has to do with how we relate to other people. And this is what we see there. This is the point. Walking with God can only happen when you walk it with other faithful men and women. The true walk of a Christian was never a solo stride. We say that a lot around here. I talk about Lone Ranger Christian, right? We kind of pick on the Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger was never alone, (laughs) right? Um, The idea that the walk with God is that old poem about footprints in the sand where there's just your footprint God's carrying, right? That is not what the Bible shows us. That the walk with God was ever just intended to be individual or isolated is not what Scripture shows us. In fact, the Son of God came and what did he do? He immediately gathered 12 men around him. The Son of God, the one guy on the planet that could walk alone, had the power to walk, just him and the Father, chose to do life with 12 others. Isn't that intriguing? Isn't that interesting that Jesus himself models for us that this journey of life cannot be done on your own? And why I say that this morning is because what I think happens, especially in our American view of faith, is this. 
because America, we are so individualistic, and that's not a bad thing. I'm all about our freedoms and our country and the things that we have in this world, but there's one catch to that. We can take it so far that the individualism that we express in America can start to isolate our faith. And it's okay to be individual. It's okay to celebrate. You're going to see in a moment in this passage, Paul actually talks about we're all individualistically gifted, right? So it's okay to be an individual. But it was never intended that you as a Christian were just supposed to walk this alone. You were never designed for that. Your faith in Christ was not designed to be you and only God. It was designed to walk together. He talks about it. Right, he gives some characteristics. He says, this walk that you've been called to, right? Walk it with humility. Humility, you know what humility is? It's actually placing yourself lower than someone else. It, humility by definition requires another person in the transaction. It requires that by definition, that if you're gonna place yourself lower, there has to be somebody that you're placing yourself in humility to. Now we know that the first place is God, right? We place ourselves in humility to God, the Father, because he's the greatest. We kind of get that. But the hardest thing in life to walk this walk is to place ourselves in humility to others, isn't it? Am I alone in that? Like, isn't it so hard to put your own desires even in your own individual families, your own desires to the people you love most in this world to make them secondary to what someone else would want to do. And then you get into other relationships, right? So those are the people we love the most, right? That should be the easiest, and man, that's hard. And then you start thinking about other relationships outside of your, the people you love the most, and you start to realize that the pull of our sin natures constantly draws us to seek ourselves to be the primary to seek our own desires, to be the primary. And it is so hard to walk with humility. So how do we do that? Well, humility requires that we have people around us that work with us and help us humble ourselves. <laughs> We're gonna see that in a minute, how that works out through love. But the reality is if you're all alone walking this life, it's very hard to create an environment that humility will grow. So if you want more humility in your life, guess what? You gotta have people around you that can help you stay what? Humble, right? There's gotta be people that help you in that. If you don't, your humility will not grow. Your pride will grow. Very simple. He next says gentleness. Gentleness is a person who is disciplined and self-controlled. And the way that gentleness constantly gets referred to in scripture is this idea that you would be self-controlled and disciplined around others, right? Um, you by yourself being uncontrolled, there's no one to observe it. Guess what? It might be bad for you, but it really has no impact when you're isolated and alone. But self-control and discipline is for the good of others. So if you're going to control your anger, right, what's that for? So that you wouldn't lash out at someone else. If you're going to control, right, some substance in this world, what is that for? Ultimately, so you wouldn't harm yourself and others. If you're gonna have self-control over your finances, what are you doing? Trying to keep yourself from harming yourself, your family, and others because you might put yourself in a situation where you have to take from someone, right? That, that's the whole point of self-control is that you would be a great citizen in the community of God. Gentleness is discipline and self-control. Patience. <laughs> All you gotta do is leave church today and get in your car 
And you will learn that the, if you have people in this world, you got to have some patience, right? And then you think about your immediate people you love, the people you're around, right? What is the hardest thing to practice? Patience. And then he says, bearing with one another in love. Forbearance is the old term. This idea that you would actually put up and love someone else's faults, someone else's weaknesses, that they would actually take out of the repository of your love in a way that you would have to forbear it, deal with it, go through it in hardship, work through it together, not just jet when it gets tough, but actually forbear. It's this idea of suffering and perseverance. And we all have kind of understood this in these recent days that there are times in life where God calls us to deal with things, to forbear them, to walk through it. But guess what? If you're on an island by yourself today, you ain't worried about COVID, <laughs> right? Like you out on some island, you ain't worried about the things we're worried about. You don't have to suffer or forbear anything. If you don't have people around you, a lot of times people aren't doing things that bother you, that frustrate you, that cause you to go into certain thought patterns. But when we walk life together, we grow because ultimately we have to forbear. We have to learn to grow in our character and allow ourselves to walk through things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to walk through. Satan's goal in this world is to isolate followers of Christ. I just want you to understand this. And I want you to see it even from our current climate in our country for a second. His primary goal is not some politician or some law being passed or some disease on our country. I want you to see this. His primary target from the start has always been to isolate the follower of Christ, to keep the follower of Christ alone. Why? Great quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, follow a lot of his stuff. Here's a quote that I love. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated the person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over his life. And it's for these things that Paul writes. I want you to see the connection. The reason sin has so much power when you're isolated is you don't have the chance to work on yourself when it's just you and God. But when you're with other people, when you allow others into that intimate part of your life, outside of the surface level thing we typically do as people, which is, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. All right, moving on, right? But when you allow people to actually into the inside of your life, what happens is you are allowing them to help you Work on yourself. As a follower of Christ, now I get that people that don't have Christ don't think this way, right? It doesn't always work out for the good outside of the church. But for you, Christian, for those of you in the room that do follow Christ, the reason you let people in and you let your guard down with the right people is because ultimately you're allowing sin to be broken down and destroyed. Sin patterns to be overcome. If you want your life to grow toward Jesus, it requires others to help you. It requires community. And ultimately, if we don't, we're letting Satan win. So what I see is a lot of, a lot of noise trying to distract and divide the church. I'm really not worried outside of the church. That's for us to go after and get them to love Jesus. But inside the church, we cannot let the noise distract us from the mission of God. And that is that the gospel will be supreme, that Christ will be made known, that Jesus will be glorified and that this world problems will be solved through Christ. But if you try to highlight something that divides, guess what happens? 
the unity of the community of God is fractured and broken. And ultimately, Satan wins. That's what happens. Which leads into the next point. Here's the thing I want you to see in verses 7, 6 through 14 when it talks about, you know, he starts going on one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all that. Here's what he's saying there. Unity in Christ. So when we choose to walk with God together, unity in Christ is more powerful than any other united front on this planet. And there's some powerful things you can do as a united front, right? I think about the, the glory stories of America and as they pulled together in the wars to overcome challenges and adversities, right? You see in military history the power of a united people, right, going against an adversary. But we also see it when a family gets focused to help someone, right? When you and your family help a specific member and that member is willing to receive and all of a sudden the entire family comes focused on a front, right? All of a sudden there's nothing more powerful in the world. We see it through our political systems, right? As, as people get voting blocks and get things going and get the energy going, all of a sudden, man, they're tracking to win, right? There's power from United Fronts. But what I'm here to tell you is this, as powerful as all those things are, they are a pale comparison to the power that the body of Christ has when it will unite under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't see a lot of our titles that divide us in that passage. I don't see a lot of the things we want to throw on ourselves as this is who we are as people in this passage. What I see is in the church, as a unified front, we have to make Christ known more than anything. And as we do that, what happens is that walk with God grows as we become united. And here's the deal. I want you to see this. This is so cool. All right. Why? Because God has given each of us the grace to unite. He's given each of us grace. And this is what I see happen. I love you guys as a picture. What happens in the best of these is this. The best of Christ follows is this. When that grace permeates a person, it doesn't matter someone's social economic status, nor their color, nor their political persuasion. It doesn't matter what those things are that divide us. When the grace of Christ will permeate your life, then we come together as the church, right? We come together as a united front. When we allow the grace of Christ to come on our life, we can overcome a lot of the baggage that our world around us struggles with to this day. Our world struggle with. This is not an American problem. It's a worldwide problem. But the unity in Christ allows us to look beyond all those labels, all those titles. There's a unity there through the grace that God has given us. And it takes grace. It takes being willing to disagree it takes being willing to talk about things and sometimes not seeing eye to eye. That's the one word, grace, in this world right now that is not being had. And to be real honest with you, I'm going to get on a kick I did a few weeks back. And I'm the post child. I'm from this generation. But I'm going to tell you, the other thing that is co-opting the church in particular is social media. It's the idea that we are social through a distance. That we can say whatever we want on a platform and think that it has no repercussions in our face-to-face -face life. 
And I'm telling you, what I've learned is that people say things out in the social sphere that if they were across the dinner table from someone, they might say it a little bit more with love. They might have the same opinion. I'm not invalidating the opinions on their life, but I just think the way the conversation might happen would be a lot different if it was happening in the context of unity and love and Christ. A conversation might be had where a statement is made. And I just think that's very important for the church. I can't speak outside of the church, but for especially Calvary Baptist Church in New Orleans in the days to come, this kind of unity and community is vital for the mission of God to be made known here in New Orleans. It's vital that you and I jump in to relationships with one another and have conversations and get to know one another more and more so that we would be a united front to face the things that are to come. And there are plenty of things in this world beyond COVID, beyond a political cycle, beyond the challenges that you face personally. There are plenty of things to come in the days to come. And when those things hit your life, you must have a support system. You must have a foundation that's built. And yes, it comes through, maybe for some of you have great relationships with your families. Maybe they're Christian, maybe they're not, but you have that support system. But it doesn't mean that you negate your church just because you have friends and family. It means that the church, the people you love in the church is a part of that. I'm not asking you to make Calvary Baptist Church your only support system, but I am telling you that if you come to this church, one benefit you have is to embrace the support of the family of faith on mission with Jesus to change the world and to let that become a part of your story for however long you are in New Orleans, for however long you are here. Make the unity. Because here's what Paul is saying. I want you to get this because this is encouraging. He says this, Christ has given each of us gifts. And then he goes on to list the gifts, right? Here's what he's saying to you today. If you love Jesus, then you're a gift to the church. You are a gift to the church. A lot of you, I've seen you be that gift. <laughs> I've seen you love people when the staff couldn't. Be there for people when the staff can't. I've seen you gather together and study God's word. Some of you have raised families together and seen generations fly by in this church. And you have been a gift to this church. You are a gift today and you will be a gift if you continue to unite in relationships and move beyond just attending once a week. You'll be a gift because Christ has given you the ability. Here's what it says. I want to make this really clear. This is a sticking point for me sometimes and it's hard for us as a staff. But he gave basically the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. A lot of that are like staff positions. Some of it plays out volunteers. There's volunteer teachers of the Bible and stuff. But a lot of it's staff. Here's what he says we are to do. Equip you, the saints. Not do the work. Not do it for you. Equip you to do the work of ministry. To build up others. To be an encourager and not a discourager. We are to help you do that. So those of us that are in either staff roles or high-level leadership roles, teach the word, etc., our job is to help you all encourage one another. Because here's the fact about Pastor Bo. Um, 
I only have a certain amount of energy to give to other relationships, right? 400 something people cannot be my best friend. <laughs> I love you all, right? And if you're more introverted, you get this statement more than you extroverts in the room. Some of you extroverts are going, man, I can take everybody. Give all 400 of me, right? The reality is we've all been gifted certain amounts of energy to foster this community that we're talking about today. But here's the beautiful thing is being a gift to the church. When we all do it together, that's the united front. There's a power that others can help build you up in a moment where Pastor Bo or Pastor Michael might not have their attention where you wanted them to be. Guess what? When that other church member that knows your name comes alongside us and encourages you in a moment where we couldn't be there, guess what happens? You're built up. I can't teach every small group, right? I, I love teaching. I can't teach every small group. But when other group leaders come together to encourage people, guess what happens? We have more bandwidth. There's a united front happening. And you're a part of that because you have been gifted by God to do something. And it's different for everybody. But you've been gifted to be a gift. The last thing, and I'll move on from this point, is this. The giftedness also says, very. I want to make sure this is very important to hear. That we have unity in the church, but not uniformity. Unity, but we don't all have to be the same. There's some core beliefs we all will carry as a part of Calvary Baptist Church, but that doesn't mean we're all the same. We're not robots. <laughs> you can have your individuality. This is back to that American part. You can be an individual and still be unified. It's all about maximizing the right things. And minimizing those things that don't matter. So you can be united, but you don't have to be the same as the person next to you. Some of you sit next to your spouse, you're going, thank goodness, right? <laughs> like, you don't have to be the same, nor would you want to be. Than the person you married a lot of times. Um, your kids are uniquely different than you. I'm seeing that in my daughter, right? Like, we don't have to be the same. We just have to be united on the things that matter. And the ways we're going to encourage one another and build each other up. And trust me, in those moments where life feels like it's shattering around your feet, that unity is going to be so important to your support. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toll. And if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. You've heard this a lot. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You may have heard it said a, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You've probably seen this in life. One little small cord, snap. I could probably do it with my hands. But you get a rope, it's hard to break that rope. You guys are gifts to the church. You can become something that is stronger than anything in this world. Anything that will face you. In some ways, we've seen that in these days. But there's so much potential if we will unify and join in together. All right, I got to move on. Next point, 15 and 16. It says they are speaking truth in love. And here's the, the last why. And then we're going to move into some hows quickly. The last why. Why as Christians are we commanded to be together? Because loving someone in the truth, through truth, brings more growth than any superficial relationship you'll have. Loving someone through the truth, being willing to speak the truth in love, 
Let me emphasize. In love, right, speaking the truth is going to be more for your growth, do more for your growth than any other superficial relationship. Here's, here's when I thought about this statement, here's what I want to kind of point out. It was my own way of thinking about it. I would say as a person that I want the truth. I don't want to be deceived, right? Would you agree with that? Like, you don't like being deceived. You want the truth in your life. All right? So I thought about that. I was like, I, I like the truth. But then I thought about, okay, all these crazy movies that have had you that had the ability to read someone's mind, you know what I'm talking about, where you can hear the true thoughts about yourself from someone else. Do you really want that? Like, would you want to come up here today and hear everybody's true thoughts? No guard... Just telling you what they think about you. Would you really want that? Probably not, right? <laughs> like, the reality is, is that the reason superficial relationships exist is because if we're truly honest with ourselves, we really don't want to know what people think. We want to hear their best impressions of us, but we don't want to hear their criticisms, right? And I know for all of us that have close relationships with each other, there are criticisms. And so truth in love is really hard. Like, because we don't really, at the end of the day, we don't want to be deceived, but I'm not sure we want the truth that brings about growth in our lives. When I think about this a lot, I'll, I'll give you a few examples to start. I'm going to give you a couple at the end. But one is like in, in seminary, they do have you go through a sermon prep class. And um, I, I got um, in, in Birmingham, when I was in Birmingham, I actually did this class. And I got David Platt, who's kind of a, a bigger name at McLean Bible Church. And, um, and like... Let me just say that like that experience is one of the hardest experiences of my life because David gave you truth. I got a sheet after I got done, like I would be doing today. So I'd preach a message like this. And at the end of that time period, I got a sheet with little bitty handwritten things all over it. From how I stood to what I looked like to how I presented. There was things on my outline and God's word. I mean, everything was ripped to shreds. Now there was encouragement and that's the love part. But it was also a lot of good critique. And here's the deal. This is why he did this. And you guys that have done this before in your life in any field, you know, this, that critical truth, especially when it comes from a person that has some experience and skill in the area, that critical truth can help you grow, help you get better. And if I spent my life, if I spend even my preaching, for instance, without ever hearing critical feedback, it's hard to grow. It's hard to move forward in that. There's not much that I can grow. There's some things I can do on my own, but it's not much. It takes that. And here's the deal about faith. So that's on sermons. That's not for y'all. In faith, we all want to grow closer to God, right? I hope you would. If you're a lover of Jesus in this room, you'd say, yeah, I jumped into this faith thing so that I would get closer to God. My faith would grow. We say that a lot in the church. But yet... The only way we grow is through truth, through love, but through truth being spoken. And some of you have experienced this, and this is why community is so important, because maybe you've gone through a season of your life that was hard. Maybe you were struggling with some sin pattern that was difficult. Maybe there was something you wanted to overcome, and you had brothers or sisters surround you and help you in that season and speak truth into your life. And what happened on the backside? Growth. But here's what Paul is saying to us about this, rather this speaking truth in love, is that that is for every day, not just for emergency situations. 
that this kind of truth and love, this community is for every day of your life. The church is here, yes, for worship and gathering, but the next step is that your name will be known in a way that people could speak truth into your life. And the only way truth comes that you'll receive it is someone loves you. If I come up and blast you with all the things I think about you that you need to do and there's no love behind it, you ain't listening. You're out the door. But if someone loves you, you may have had this happen in your home with your spouse and you know they love you. And yeah, they might not even said it the right way, but you received it because you know that love comes behind it. There is no megaphone involved with truth and love. There is no solo person shouting on the street that gets you to change. Your growth in faith happens by having people surround you that love you in Christ. That may be your family. You may have a heritage of faith. That may be your spouse and your immediate context. Maybe you married a person of faith. Maybe you have friendships even outside this church that are of faith. Guess what? I'm not isolating just Calvary Baptist Church. All those things play into this truth and love factor. But at the end of the day, I just want to be clear. You choose to go to a church because there has to be that connection that helps you step forward in faith. There has to be truth and love coming from that. I'll give you a couple more examples I wrote down. Two people in my life that I love to this day. And they were the hardest on me that I can think of. But the reason I loved them, almost like a father and a mother, I would because they were hard through love. One is, um, one of the things I love most is that in my high school when I was growing up, they had this English teacher that was just a terror. She was just the type of English teacher that made you write. At an eighth grader, I was writing 50-page term papers and beyond as an eighth grader. Like she was coming from a college background and had no context of eighth grade English and writing. And she had struggles, by the way. Like if I told the full story, there were struggles at that beginning point. But her name is Mrs. LeMay. Mrs. LeMay, to this day, is someone I looked on with fondness. Someone I try to connect to as best I can. Because as I complete a doctorate now last year, I looked to all that writing. I go, man, I'm grateful for that lady. Because she pushed me in eighth grade to be better than I was. I also think about my basketball coach. My basketball coach is old school now. He's one of these guys that he, he constantly would have a hoarse throat because he yelled all the time. Coach Deegan. And um, Coach Deegan would ride me. And in eighth grade, when he came in, I was terrible at basketball. I'm not saying I was any kind of good, like going to play college when I got done. But I was terrible. Couldn't dribble a ball when he came in eighth grade. And his pushing. But also, what did he do? He took me to camps. He helped me. He showed me how to play. And then he grinded me constantly. And in that, it became a sport that I love to this day because he pushed me. So much so that my basketball coach was at my wedding here in New Orleans. Just to show you how close we are. He drove down to New Orleans seven and a half hours away to be a part of our wedding. It was a surprise to me. But why? Because the love was there. Because he truly loved developing and growing young men and to be something more than themselves. So if that's true for just basketball and English, how much more true is it for your faith? That's the point. So how do we do it? And I'm going to breeze through these, all right? How do we do it? The first is this. Eager, be eager to unite. Be eager about uniting with other people. It says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity. And I just harped on that eagerness word. 
Because I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, I'm not eager about another social event. Maybe you are. Maybe you're wired differently than me. But for me, it's not always that I walk into even my group that I tend eager to do it every week. It's hard to do. But the more eager we are about the value of being together, especially as the church, or maybe with other believers that you love and know, the more eager you are about it, the more reward you'll see. And I want to be really clear, it's really people over a program. We have things like groups here, but it's really about getting together with people. The, the reason groups exist it is a program to help those that don't know how to do it, but it is not just exclusive to groups. Like, be eager to gather with other Christians in your free time and let it be more than the superficial. Talk about Christ. Be eager to talk about what's going on in your life. The reality is that the power of a small group of Christians, especially as you've seen when we've been shut down, there's power there. Be eager to unite. The, Psalm 133 is used for worship a lot, but behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. A lot of times we use that for the gathering here, but it also applies in a small group. How good it is when you gather. Be eager. The next thing I wrote down is look to give and work hard. What I want you to see in verses uh, 8 and 9, there's a little caveat Paul gives. It's kind of weird. It gets a little theological, but I want you to see what he says there. He talks about Christ ascending to heaven. We know Christ ascended, right? And what the point he makes about the hard work of community is this. For Christ to eventually ascend to heaven, he had to descend to earth. And he had to go through a lot of torment. There was some good, but a lot of torment to get back to the ascension. And what he's pointing out to the church is that we all want to ascend, right? We all want to be close to God. But a lot of times, I'm going to call you out here. I'm the same way, but I'm going to call you out. When I find people in the church, what a lot of times I find is this. They ask the question, how is this going to help me? Rather than what can I put into this? We'll say that again. When it comes to gathering together in relationships, a lot of times it's about how can it help me? And not how can I put into a group of people? How can I put into this? And listen, I know we're all sometimes go through situations where we're hurting, we're looking for help, etc. But if you don't do the work of building relationships, then the need is so hard to address when it's there. If you don't put the work in in the good times, then when you have the need, it's hard. Because we all need each other. And the good people, the good ones going through good times have to be able to help the weaker ones that are going through the weaker ones. But when the weaker ones get better, they've got to be willing to help the ones because the, the ones that are rock solid go through hard times too. There are no rock solid Christians in this room. Jesus is the foundation. Everything else is sinking sand. And so you have to jump into community, being willing to commit to it put time into it. I, I get that right now, for instance, in our groups, it's technology is the big factor. Guess what? Zoom, baby Zoom, get after it. Like who cares? Like you, I said this earlier in the season, you would be telling me that my relationships with my parents are invalid because we FaceTime most of my existence with them now. That that love is not as real just because I only see them four or five times a year. And the reality is face-to-face -face is always better. I'm praying for a day where we return to in-person groups, things like that. It's always better. But in the meantime, put the work in. Zoom, whatever it takes to make sure that someone knows your name. Because lastly, you've got to be willing to receive the truth and develop your love. You've got to develop your love and receive the truth. 
A lot of times we want to give the truth, but you've got to be willing to receive the truth and develop your love. It really talks about speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up into Christ, right? And what, what I see there is that like there has to be a love foundation if the truth is ever going to come out. And so I wrote down, and this is more for me, it's like listen more than you speak, right? Because Bo likes to talk, so I wrote that down for myself. It's like, man, to get the truth, you've got to be willing to listen and develop the love. Position yourself for help and to help and let people love you. The other hard thing for superficial relationships is being willing to let people into your life, to let them help you, to let them love you, to admit that you need some help. You've got to be willing to let your guard down with someone that can point you to Jesus. Like, I'm not saying in this message that you have to now go and everybody in here, you got to let your guard down with. I hope you don't receive that, nor do I hope you receive that you can be best friends with everybody in this church, including the pastors and staff. We're all going to know one another. But the question is, who around you that's a Christian can you let your guard down with? Can you talk with? And when you're walking through something, can you work with? And maybe you can actually help them along the way, right? Like that's the point, is this mutual building each other up. But the main thing in this whole thing is this. Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everyone knows your name. For those of you who are a little bit younger, that's Cheers. Um, I'm in that group. I never really watched it live. I saw it on reruns. Sorry if, if I'm showing age there. But that is a secular example, a TV show that speaks to this very issue. That we all want to be somewhere where everyone knows our name. And the troubles are all the same. What a great reminder for the church. That if sitcoms can understand that a group of people in the same boat can unite around something. And all the best sitcoms do. That the people of God should be a better example of that. That in this church there should be someone who knows your name. And they're glad you came. And there's someone that the troubles you will see are all the same. And if you don't have that here, let me just tell you, we're here for you. That's why I, I tell you all the time, groups exist for that reason. And you can sign up in this season at any point in time to be in a group. But as I said before, it's people over programs. We are here to foster that, but it's not the only outlet. You have to look to your life. And if you look around and don't know someone, that's why we're here. But otherwise, it takes the hard work of being willing to be eager to unite. And I hope you see today that there's great value in that. If you're struggling today, let me tell you, we are here for you. I've been so encouraged in this season to hear some people struggling and their support system has really been this church. You've done that. You're a gift. Keep doing that. Keep being a gift. As we unite more and more, there are going to be people that come around that don't know Christ. Guess what? Your unity is power there. Your love is something they want to have and be a part of. That's where Jesus shines best. Don't isolate. 
don't social distance. Because although COVID is real, and although your physical well-being is important, don't neglect in this season your social well-being. For those of you online, don't miss out on the opportunities we're giving you to chat, to jump into a Zoom group, to be even at a distance at your home if you're concerned and be together. The same thing with you guys. Like in this room, we cannot do what I'm talking about today. You can hear a message, you can sing a song, you can get to say hey to one another, but there is great beyond throughout your week that it just takes time. And there has to be numbers in your cell phone, people you can call, people you can gather around that love Jesus and can help point you toward him. So let's do this. Let's ask God to help us receive this word and help us unite in this season to go beyond the things that may try to divide us and instead unite under the banner of Christ. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for Jesus and his example. I thank you for the disciples and how Jesus shows us that it is not a Lone Ranger type of life. I thank you for that. God, I thank you that you have designed us, whether we are highly introverted or highly extroverted, God, you have designed us to have relationships with one another. And God, we say around here, we're the family of faith, God, it, it takes us being willing to act like it. God, I thank you for the stories, the examples of where we are acting like it. And I just pray that as we move forward in the days to come, you will keep this church focused on you. You'll help every single person in this room be known by name. And every person, no matter what they're walking through, will know that they have a place to go because Calvary Baptist Church is a family of faith on mission with Jesus to change the world. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. What a gift. Can we thank the Lord for that word and for Pastor Bo? Thank you, man. I was blessed by that message and I hope that you were as well. Um, I have found this season of life to be a season of intense prayer um, because when you walk through valleys, when you walk through challenges, uh, you'll find that your relationship with the Lord, um, if it's genuine, it's going to be strengthened. It's going to become real for you. Um, but a part of that intense prayer uh, is not just about um, God, what I need you to do for me. Uh, a part of this season of life for me has been about intense prayer for a lot of people. And so that word that you just heard, uh, it's authentic, it's, it's real. Um, Christian community is essential. It's essential. You are essential. Gathering together with the body of Christ is essential, but, but being connected, that's essential. And having people that, that you love, that you are praying for, that you are praying with, there's something about that, that even in moments that are challenging, that you don't understand, you can't figure out, that you can't wrap your brain around and there's just no answer. Even in those moments when you have people that are just walking through those moments with you and they're walking through those moments appropriately humbly with contrite hearts before God, that's life-changing. 
that's the church. And that's why we do what we do. Look, this week, I, I hope that you as well, like myself, have been in prayer for those who have been impacted by storms. Uh, throughout our region. Uh, I encourage you to continue to be in prayer for them. Perhaps um, you have someone that was directly impacted by that and, and surely let us know so that we can pray for them. Part of, part of the Christian community, by the way, um, it's interesting because uh, we are connected with churches across Louisiana and there are people even on the ground now helping with that recovery. Just as we experienced here through the aftermath of a storm that impacted New Orleans, so too there are people from here who even this week are traveling to go and help people um, over in the western part of our state. So continue to be in prayer for them. Continue to be faithful in your support and your connection to Calvary. Because as we see in this, we need one another and we're here for one another. Um, thank you for your giving as always. Thank you online for those of you who have been faithful. As you won't see, but there is a room gathered here together of faithful people, and you are a part of that as well. And, and as these families have gathered together because they know they need community, so you too, you're a part of this Christian community. And we look forward to the day that we as Calvary will gather again as one whole family. And it's coming. But until then, stay connected. Thank you for your giving as well. And you can see online how to continue to do that. And here's the thing. By doing what we do, we even support ministry and missions still, even in parts of our own state. It's good to be together. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your kids. When you leave here, your kids can tune into Jumpstart online. And likewise, for those of you still online, your family it's important to us. And so we want to build up your children, your students in this season of life. But what a powerful day it's been to worship. It's essential. And you're, you're important. You matter. And so I'd just like to close today asking God through his son Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, to bless you with his presence. So can we bow together in one final prayer on this day of gathering? Father, I'm tremendously grateful for the church. Father, I'm tremendously grateful for genuine people. Father, I'm tremendously grateful for those in this room today whom I know and know well as their pastor. And for those as well in the online family who I know and know well, even as their friend. But beyond anything that we experience in our love for one another, we, we thank you for the grace of heaven that comes through Jesus. For the connection of the Holy Spirit that binds us together beyond our humanity, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts our moments. You are God. And so I ask from the grace of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you would bless every person in this room today and in this online family that we have together with your peace, your supernatural peace beyond this world, with your presence to remind us we are not alone with your supernatural goodness that will bring all of us through these moments where we walk through valleys and shadows, that you will strengthen the church 
the community, the people who call themselves Christians because of the work of a Savior that we do not deserve. God, in this day, strengthen our hearts and our fellowship by who you are. And I'm so thankful that we could gather. I'm so thankful that we can see faces that we can experience joy and pain and uncertainty and victory and all of the beautiful moments of life with people that genuinely care, that authentically love. Thank you for the body of Christ. It is essential. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all and good day.